right, good morning, everybody. Great to see you in the house uh, today. And hey, I want to give a, a shout out to Cameron for doing a great job teaching last week. Can we show him a little love? And thank you, Cameron, for teaching uh, last week. Uh, I was in Israel last week, a meeting with our church planters there and seeing the good work that they're doing there. Pastor Israel and Pastor Zeev are really just doing a great job in a very difficult part of the world uh, to talk about Jesus. In fact, they told me a story of one man who is the only believer in his village. And when his neighbors discovered he was a follower of Jesus, they kicked him out of the village and he had to move to a different place. And it just is a good reminder to us of how much freedom we have uh, here to follow Jesus and to not have to worry about that kind of persecution. But Pastor Israel said the reason why we love each other so much in this church is because most of us have been abandoned by our families and this is our family. And so um, just continue to pray for them and the good work that they're doing there in the upper Galilee. In fact, if I could take you up there, the Upper Galilee is really a, a, a conglomeration of different villages and towns along a, a long valley called the Hula Valley. In the ancient times, the Hula Valley was really just swampland. It was just home to all kinds of wild animals and malaria and diseases like that. It was uninhabitable. You couldn't farm it. You couldn't live in it. You couldn't drive through it. Certainly, you get bogged down and stuck in that Hula Valley. Of course, it's not that way today, but as I was driving through it, it reminded me of another valley. A valley that you and I can often get stuck in that can keep us from moving forward in our walk with God. I'm talking about the valley of doubt. You ever been there? Ever been in the valley of doubt? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but uh, if I did, probably most of us would say, oh yeah, I've, I've been in there. I've, I've asked the questions, Does, is God really uh, hearing my prayers? Does God really have a plan for me? Does God really see me? Does God really care about me? We all go through this valley of doubt from time to time. And some people get stuck in it. Some people stay there for years and never really progress in their walk with God. Never really grow in their walk with God because they're stuck in this valley of doubt. Well, I want to talk today about how to get out of that valley, all right? And uh, I want to show you a person that was in this, stuck in this valley of doubt for some time, but, but not only did she come out of it, but God is now using her as an example for us to follow of how to walk by faith, all right? So I want you to get your Bible. I want you to do what we do. Open up your Bible uh, to Hebrews chapter 11 and also Genesis 18. We're going to be in both places, Hebrews 11 and Genesis 18. Of course, in Hebrews 11, we are in the, uh, our study of, of the great people of faith, and we're going through the list. We've, we've looked at the faith of Abel and Enoch and Noah. We looked at the faith of Abraham last week, but today we're going to look at a woman named Sarah. Okay, so Hebrews 11, and we're only looking at one verse here, and that is verse 11. This is the word of God. Uh, By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Now, stop right there for just a minute. 
I want you to just circle the word Sarah there. Who is Sarah? Well, Sarah was the wife of Abraham. We looked at Abraham last week. Abraham, this great father of faith. But Sarah was his wife. And Sarah is mentioned here in this long list of great people of faith uh, because she is an example to us of how to have great faith. But here's what I want you to understand. Sarah's road to being a person of faith was a long road of disappointment. In fact, when you read about Sarah in the Old Testament, she doesn't really come across right off the bat as necessarily a person of great faith. But she got there. And God really produced in her great faith that allows her to be mentioned right here in, uh, in Hebrews 11. Her journey of disappointment really begins in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to uh, cause you to have a son. And through that son, a great nation will be born. And this nation will multiply like the sands of the seashore. And this nation is going to bless all nations, right? All nations are going to be blessed through you. And that sounded awesome, right? Only one problem, Sarah, his wife, could not conceive. And as far as we can tell, from the very beginning, she was not able to produce children. And this became the ongoing burden in her life. The ongoing pain and disappointment in her life. That no matter how much she wanted it, no matter how much she prayed about it, she could not conceive of a child. And this became a tremendous hurt in her life. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, she hoped and prayed that somehow what God promised would come to pass. And yet, over the course of time, as she grew older and older and older, she finally realized that this just isn't going to happen. And any hope of a child quickly faded away. I'm sure she wrestled with a lot of questions. But aren't you? I'm sure she laid on her bed at night and said, God, why? Why can't I have a child? What's wrong with me? Why, why can't this joy be in my life? God, why would you promise this? And yet, obviously, it can't happen because look at me. Why, why, why? I'm sure she was just bombarded with this doubt and discouragement. One thing I know is that oftentimes doubt will lead you to think things that are not true and to do things that are not wise, right? And, and this is certainly what happened with Sarah. She started thinking, well, okay, if God says we're going to have a child, maybe he just meant Abraham's going to have a child. And since I am too old, maybe it'll, we'll have to use a surrogate. So I've got my servant Hagar and maybe we'll work that route. And of course, that's not what God said. That's not what God promised. But that only complicated the matters, right? That only added to more pain and more strife, more heartache, more trouble. And I've often found that when we try to help God out, we're oftentimes just getting in God's way, right? Of what God wants to do. And so here is Sarah now. She's an old woman. She's well into her 80s. And any hope of having a child well, it's long since dead and gone. Look at Hebrews 11 again. She was unable to have children. She was past the age, period. This is not going to happen. And what replaced hope in her heart was doubt. Now, let me just pause the story here for just a minute. And let's talk about doubt. Doubt and unbelief are really two different things. I've taught you this before, but it's good to be reminded of it. Doubt and unbelief are two different things. 
Unbelief is, a, is an act of my will. I refuse to believe that. I will never believe that. I cannot accept that. That's what unbelief sounds like. It's digging in my heels and saying, God, you said that. I refuse to accept that. I refuse to believe that. That's unbelief. But doubt is different. Doubt is, well, let me just give you a definition. We'll put it up here on the screen. Doubt is a temporary struggle to reconcile God's promises with your current circumstances. I want you to think about that. It's temporary. It's just a season we go through. It's in a season of doubt, but it's a, it's a difficulty to reconcile what God promises and my current circumstances. I just don't see how these two things line up. God, I know you promised this, but I don't see how it's going to happen. And so I'm struggling with reconciling the promises of God and my current circumstances and what that produces in me is this sense of doubt. God, I don't understand. I don't see how this could possibly happen. And lots of times you and I go through seasons of doubt. Now, as, as you kind of study the scripture, I, I think that there are a couple of reasons why we get thrown into a season of doubt. In fact, I, I've been a pastor now for a while, and I've counseled enough people to know that when people are saying I'm struggling with doubt, it's usually one of these three categories. One is I doubt because I'm hurting. I've had a crisis in my life. I've had a disappointment in my life. I, I've had a loss in my life. And because of that pain or that struggle or that crisis or that loss, I begin, I'm just thrown upside down. And I, I begin to doubt everything. Well, does God care? Does God listen? Does God, will God ever act or intervene? And, and so I start to doubt God because of the hurt in my life. I think about John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist? Uh, I mean, this great man of faith, the great man that pointed out Jesus as the Messiah, and yet when he was in prison, he sent a letter to Jesus saying, are you the one, or should we look for another? Even John the Baptist was struggling a little bit with doubt because he's in prison, all right, which was not in his plan, and, and yet, yet he knows the promises of God. He's trying to sort all these things out, and through that hurt, he's just in a season of doubt. I think Sarah was hurting because of this infertility. She, this was a pain and a load and a burden she carried her whole life. And so you may be in doubt because you're hurting and you're going through a, a, just a, a season of loss and confusion. Another reason why we doubt is because we're tired, right? We're just tired. We're just tired of doing the right thing. We're tired of praying. We're tired of going to church. We're tired of, we're tired of listening to Craig. No amens, all right? We're just tired, all right? We're just tired. And, and, uh, and, and so we just get weary in well-doing. We get weary in waiting, weary in trusting. Think about Elijah, right? Elijah's a great poster child for this. You know, here's on Mount Carmel and he's facing down the prophets of Baal. But then after that, he's running and he, and he falls into doubt. He's like, God, I'm the only one. And God, you know, this is never gonna work. And God, I, I wish I wasn't even born. And he just gets in this dark place. And uh, what does God do? Well, God uh, puts him, gives him a nap, wakes him up, gives him a snack, puts him back for another nap, another snack, Principle is, sometimes the most godly thing you can do is take a nap and have a snack. Amen? Amen. You can go ahead and quote me on that one. That's tweetable right there. Uh, the most godly thing you can do, a uh, nap and a snack. And, uh, but I mean, he was just tired, right? I think Sarah was tired of waiting. She was tired of trusting. And she just didn't see how it could ever really come to pass. 
Sometimes you're just tired. Another reason why we doubt is not just because we're hurting and not just because we're tired, but it's because we're drifting. We're just drifting from God. You're not as close to God as you used to be. You don't really hunger after God like you used to. You're not really in God's word like you used to. You're not really praying like you used to. You're not sharing your faith like you used to. I mean, you remember the day, man, when you couldn't wait to get to church and worship was awesome and you were so burdened for your lost friends and everything you read was just coming off the page. But that's been a long time. I mean, wow, it's been a long time since your walk with God was like that. And it's not been a sudden thing, just a gradual drifting from God. But the further you drift from God, the greater your doubt grows. We're going to talk about Moses in the future, but Moses is a great example. Here he is on the backside of the desert, just far from God, kind of blending in to nowhere. And yet when God does speak to him, he responds in doubt. Well, God, I don't think I'm your guy. God, I don't, I don't talk so well. God, I don't know. I think a lot of times when we're drifting from God, our doubt just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Now listen, I don't know if you're in any of those seasons, but I can tell you that all three of those can produce a season of doubt. But here's what I want you to understand. God wants to bring you out of your doubt. He wants to put your feet on solid ground. He wants you to walk by faith, all right? And so here is Sarah. She's an old woman now. She's been holding on to this promise. She's going to have a child. It hasn't come. It hasn't come. She's now in her late 80s. All hope is gone. And she thinks God has forgotten her, but God's about to show up. And I tell you what, what we're about to read here, I believe, is the pivot point in Sarah's life of coming out of her doubt and into great faith. All right? So let's look at Genesis. All right? We're going to flip over to Genesis uh, chapter uh, 18. All right? Just 18, uh, picking up verse 9, let me just kind of set the stage here. Abraham and Sarah are camped out. They, ha they have three visitors that come to see them. And it's a little mysterious who these visitors are. Some people say these are three angels. Of course, one of them is referred to as the Lord. So uh, we believe that this is God appearing to her. And uh, I personally believe this is probably a Christophany, one of these Old Testament appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament. But, but God comes to talk to Abraham and he's going to have a conversation about Sarah. So let's look at verse 9. He said, where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him, there in the tent, he answered. And the Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him, and Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So she laughed to herself, am I uh, worn out? And my Lord is old, and will I have delight? But the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? And at the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. And Sarah denied it. I, I did not laugh, uh, she replied, because she was afraid. But he replied, no. No, you did. You did laugh. End of story. I just think that's funny, that last part. Uh, no, you laughed. Yeah, we know. So what's happening here? Why did, why did Sarah laugh? Because, I mean, it was like, really? you got to be kidding me. This is kind of ridiculous. I mean, now you're still telling me I'm going to have a son when, I mean, look at me. I'm old. 
There's no way. I mean, I've been holding on for a long time, but it, I think this, that ship has sailed, so to speak. There's no way. Um, but God was going to do something in her life that she could never expect. Listen. Only God can bring you out of your doubt and plant your feet in faith. Only God can do that. Your mom can't do that for you. Your dad can't do that for you. Your husband, your wife can't do that for you. You understand me? Nod at me if you understand what I'm saying. Only God can do that. God can bring you out of this season of doubt that you're in and, and move you forward in faith. And what we're going to see here is how God does that. There's actually a process that God uses to bring you out of doubt. And we're going to see how he does this right here in Sarah's life. God tells Abraham, in a year, you're going to have a son. And look at verse 12. It says, she laughed to herself. Now, I want you to notice this. It says, she laughed to herself. That doesn't mean she laughed out loud. In fact, she did not laugh out loud. It wasn't like he hears this and, and Abraham hears it in the back tent. Ha! <laughs> That's never going to happen, all right? That's not what happened, all right? She laughed within herself. Literally, in the Hebrew, it says she laughed in her gut. She laughed internally. She's thinking all this stuff on the inside. She's not verbalizing it, but it's all on the inside. Let me ask you, have you ever done that? Have you ever just laid on your bed and had this internal conversation with God in your own mind? Have you ever laid on your bed at night and said, God, why is this not happening? God, I've been praying about this and it's not working. God, why wouldn't you do this? God, why is this happening? God, what's going on here? God, I don't understand. Have you ever laid in your bed at night and your mind has just been running and running and running? That's exactly what's happening here with Sarah. This is this internal dialogue that she's having with God about how can this be? And it's really, uh, this, this laugh is really about doubt. She's going, I mean, can I really have a child? I mean, give me a break. And then look at what happens in verse 13. The Lord asks Abraham, why did Sarah laugh saying, can I really have a baby when I am old? And right here we see the first step to coming out of doubt. And here's what I want you to write down. Understand God sees you. Understand that God sees you. When I was in Israel, um, I was, it, was, it was Shabbat, all right? So we're celebrating Shabbat, and I'm over at Pastor Israel's house. We're hanging out. It's going to be a late breakfast, so we're just sitting on his couch, just kind of relaxing and talking and uh, waiting, waiting for uh, breakfast. And um, so conversation kind of turns to what I'm preaching on. He goes, what are you preaching on? So I said, well, I'm preaching out of Hebrews, and uh, we're going through the, the great people of faith. He goes, oh, that's great. I love that passage. And, and I said, actually, I'm talking about Sarah. And I'm talking about Sarah's doubt and how Sarah dealt with doubt. And, and so he said, well, let's just, let's just look at that. So he opens up his Bible. Now you got to understand he, it's all in Hebrew, even the Old Testament's in Hebrew, but also the New Testament has also been translated into Hebrew. So he's reading it all in Hebrew. And then of course I'm reading mine in English. And so we're sitting here having this Bible study at his, at his kitchen table about Sarah. And, uh, and he pointed out something to me that I didn't know. He said, you know, um, just shortly after the time of Christ, the rabbis divided up the Torah into sections, what they call portions. And these portions were just kind of divisions of scripture. Sometimes there are multiple chapters. And they would give a little heading to that portion that kind of give you some insight as to what the rabbis thought was the main idea of that portion. 
And so when you go to a synagogue, they would read the portion of the week. And those were the portions of the Torah they read. And so he said, let's look at what this portion is. And so he looked it up and there the heading was the word Vayera. And Vayera means to see. Or Vayere, Vayere means to see. And so what he said is that the, somehow the rabbis, when they read the story, they understood that this story was about seeing how God sees us and how we see God. Now that's exactly what's happening here. Here is Sarah. She's discouraged. She's disappointed. She's hurt. She's hiding in seclusion in the tent. She's not out talking. She's in the tent. She's removed. She's distant in her doubt. And yet, God sees her. He not only sees her, he sees her inner thoughts. <laughs> He's in her head. He knows exactly what she's thinking. He knows exactly what she's struggling with. He knows exactly where she's been. He knows exactly what her doubt is. She's not, she's not withholding this from God. God sees it all. And it's a wonderful reminder of this, that listen, God sees you. Many times when we are doubting God, we think that somehow God has forgotten us, that God has abandoned us, that God can't see me, that God doesn't know me, God doesn't care about me, that God is far and distant from me, and God really doesn't give any care about what's happening in my life. But that is not true, that God sees you just as you are. He knows your internal struggle. He knows the thoughts that go through your mind. That he sees you and he draws close to you and he loves you. That you're not as far from God as you think you are. That God sees you. I think about Romans 8. It says this, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Listen to these words. Neither death nor life nor angels or demons, neither our fears of today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation can ever separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now let me ask you something. Do you believe that? Can you receive that? today, that no matter what you've been through, no matter what struggle you're in, no matter how distant you, far, you, you feel you are from God, that God sees you right where you are, that God knows, he hears your inner cry, he knows your disappointment, he knows your struggle, he knows your hurt, and he's drawing close to you. This was the first wake-up call for Sarah. She thought, oh, God's forgotten me. I'm just withdrawing from him. No, no, God was coming close to her. He saw her. But the second thing that moved her out of her doubt, not only is this awareness that God saw her, but here's another one, to recognize that he is the God of wonders. He's the God of wonders. Now, while we were studying this at the kitchen table, we're reading through this passage, and uh, Pastor Israel put, put his finger on verse 14, and his eyes kind of lit up. He goes, oh, he goes, hey, read that verse in the English. And so I read it and it says, is anything impossible for the Lord? This is God's reply to her, right? She's struggling in her doubt. God sees that. And he says, is anything too impossible for God? And he said, he goes, that word, impossible. 
He said that is, the root of this word in Hebrew is the word pele. Pele. He said, do you know pele? I'm like, I don't know. I think I know pele. He goes, pele. He goes, that's a name for God in the Old Testament. It means wonders. It means miracles. It means uh, uh, above and beyond. It means the God who can do anything. This is a name for God in the Old Testament. And then it hit me. Remember in Isaiah 9? We, we read these words about Isaiah, uh, about God. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Pele. His name shall be called Pele. He's the God of wonders. He's the God of miracles. In other words, he's saying, Sarah, I mean, wake up. <laughs> Look who you're talking to. I, I'm the God of wonders. Is anything do impossible for me? I'm the God who created the world and sustains it all. I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt with my right hand and power. I'm the God that split the Red Sea wide open. I'm the God that provided for you in the desert, in the wilderness. I'm the God who healed the sick and raised the dead and brought sight to the blind. I'm the God that, that defeated Satan at the cross. I'm the God that rose again on the third day. I'm the one who fulfilled every promise that was given uh, to my Messiah. Listen, I am the God of wonders. Is anything too difficult for me? It seemed like Sarah had forgotten who God was. That she had forgotten he was a God of wonders. You know, there's a story like that in the New Testament. There was a father who had a, a son that was possessed and harassed by a demon and he brought his son to one of the, some of the disciples and said, hey, can you help me out here? And the disciples did what they could and couldn't figure it out. And so uh, they come to Jesus and Jesus is like, okay, let, let me figure this out. And so he comes up and he talks to the father and asks him a few questions and, uh, and, and listen, to this, listen to this exchange. And, and so here's the dialogue between the father and Jesus. The father says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, wait a minute, let me, let me just, what did you just say? If you can, if you can do anything, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the boy cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. All right, how I many of you here can relate to this dad, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, I just love this exchange. You go, yeah, if you can do anything, and Jesus is like, what? If I can, I'm the God of wonders. <laughs> I'm the one that can do anything. Maybe you've forgotten who I am. Let me ask you something. Is it possible that you've forgotten who you're praying to? Is it possible that he has become too common that you've forgotten that he's a God of wonders. Sarah was in doubt because she thought God didn't see her, but now she understood that God was seeing her. She was in doubt because she didn't think that God could do anything. And he said, Sarah, wake up. I'm the God of wonders. Is anything too impossible for me? Listen, at some point in our life, we have to realize that God really is who he claims to be. 
Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, he said, Now unto him who is able to exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. So what are you worried about? Why are you doubting God? He's the God of wonders. He sees you. He can do anything. But then there's this one other part here that I love. We have to surrender our doubts to God. We have to surrender our doubts to God. Look at verse 15. Uh, Sarah, of course, laughed, and then he goes, I can do anything. What are you laughing about? And, and then it, Sarah, like, you get into this whole thing that she, she denied it, right? I, I didn't laugh. And it says she denied it because she was what? Look at verse 15. She was what? She was afraid. She was afraid. So I'm back at the breakfast table with Pastor Israel and uh, he looks down in verse 15 and he said the, the Hebrew word here for fear is yurah. He said now, remember to see is yureh. To fear is yurah. He said, do you see how these things sound the same? When you translate these two words in English, they don't sound the same, but in Hebrew, you get the play, right? Yireh, 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 yireh. They, they sound similar. And he said there's a reason, because there's a connection between seeing who God is and fear, godly fear. He said, how are these two things connected? It's because when you see who God is, he's a God of wonders, and you begin to see your own heart that's doubting God and wayward, then that produces godly fear, right? Like, oh my, God's a God. He sees me and he, I'm exposed. My doubt is exposed. My waywardness is exposed before God. And he's a God of wonders. And look at who I am. And, and that produces in me a, a brokenness and a humility to, to come before him in repentance and faith. Now remember, remember Isaiah? Remember the story of Isaiah? Isaiah, he said, I, I was in the temple and I saw the Lord. I, I saw him. And then immediately he goes, and then I saw myself. I go, whoa, was me, man. I'm, I'm jacked up. And that's in the Craig version, all right? I'm a mess, all right? I'm, I'm jacked up, man. I'm, I'm a wreck. And, and then through that, that produced godly fear that allowed him to say, God, please forgive me. God, please change me. That's how those words connect. That's what was happening in Sarah's life. She was in doubt. And the only thing that was going to get her out of her doubt was to recognize that God sees her, that he's exposing her doubt, that he's a God of wonders, he can do anything, and yet she doesn't see him, she doesn't believe him. And in that doubt, she was broken on the inside and she confessed it to him. She, that produced godly fear in her that led her to repentance. And she was changed. From that point forward, she believed that God could really do what he said he could do. This was a turning point in Sarah's life. It's a turning point in your life too. Hebrews 3.12 says, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. Is your heart hardened toward the Lord, unbelieving, doubting God? Then you've got to surrender that to God and say, God, you know what? I don't want to have an unbelieving heart. I don't want to have a hard heart toward you, God. I see you. I see me. God, take away my unbelief and give me faith to trust you. That's the turning point. 
The Hula Valley, I said, was a swamp in ancient times. But in the 1950s, the Israelis drained the swamp and they, they uh, produced fertile farmland there. In fact, this is a picture of the Hula Valley today. It's a beautiful place. We drove through there and it was harvest season and they were harvesting mangoes and pomegranates and plums and peaches and all that kind of good stuff. I mean, just buckets and buckets of fruitfulness out of the place that once was barren. And as I drove through that and I was thinking about Sarah, I thought, you know, that's a lot like her life, right? She was barren, but God gave her a child. And somehow in all this process, God was growing in her great faith. Hebrews 11 says, she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Somewhere along the line, she traded her doubt for great faith. She said, God, I'm going to trust you. God, you're the God of wonders. God, you see everything. God, I surrender my heart to you, even my questions, and I trust you. And that's what made her a woman of great faith. About a year later, she did have a child, and his name was Isaac. You know what Isaac means in the Hebrew? Laughter. <laughs> Every time she called out his name, she thought about how she laughed at God because she doubted him. Now God had the last laugh, right? It's interesting, it was through Isaac that came Jacob, that came Joseph, that came the 12 tribes of Israel that ultimately would come the Messiah, Jesus. And through Jesus, God still makes promises to us today. The promise is, if anyone will come to me, I will forgive you of your sin. I will cleanse you from your past. I will give you new life, eternal life. I will give you purpose in your life now. But it requires you to come to him just like Sarah did, by faith. To see that he's the God of wonders. To see that he sees you in your own sinful state and condition. And then to turn to him and say, God, I trust you. I want to follow you. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. You may be here today and you're in a season of doubt. A season of discouragement. God sees you right where you are. He knows your heart. He knows what you're wrestling with. He knows what you're thinking about even right now. And he wants to take you out of doubt and plant your feet on solid ground. But you've got to turn to him in faith. You've got to, you've got to surrender your doubt to him. You've got to, to see your doubt for what it is, a hardness of heart. And say, God, help me to trust you. Take away this doubt in my heart. God, I want to walk with you by faith. And maybe today is the day for you to do that. The gospel is very clear that we were sinful, we are sinful and far from God, unable to be reconciled with him because of our sin. But God sent his only son, Jesus. And that Jesus went to a cross and on the cross, he bore all of our sin, all of our waywardness, all of our rebellion, all of our wickedness.
and he paid for it in full with his own blood. It was the ultimate Passover lamb slain for us. The Bible says he was buried. Three days later, he rose again from the dead and he offers us new life. He offers you a change if you'll turn to him in faith. If you'll set aside your unbelief and trust him. And maybe today is the day for you to do that. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now just with your heads bowed. If you're like, I, I want to trust Christ. I want to give my life to Christ. I don't want to walk in doubt. I want to trust this God who can do anything. This God of wonders. I want to know him. I want to place my trust in Jesus. Then just right where you are, you can pray this simple prayer. Lord, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way. But I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe he rose again from the dead. So I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please change me. Give me great faith to trust you and to walk with you all the days of my life. Lord, I thank you for your word today. Lord, help us to walk by faith. Lord, lead us out of our doubt to know that there's nothing you cannot do. That you're the God of wonders and you see us right where we are. Lord, help us to surrender our struggles and our doubts to you and to walk by faith. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.